So, Father, thank you. We come to you today. We uh, look to you. We praise you. We ask, God, that you would now speak to us through your word, your love letter to us, this word that shines such light in darkness. We pray, God, that in every way we would open up our hearts and minds to you. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us, and we pray, God, that um, as you speak to us, we would not just hear, but we would seek to do, that we would seek to apply to our lives the truths containing your word. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I've got a little helper with me this morning. All right. So what is, what is this? Mr. Potato Head, he's waving hello to you today, okay? I bet almost everyone in this room had a Mr. Potato Head at some time, or a Mrs. Potato Head maybe, right? Um, toy manufacturers figured out many years ago. In fact, Mr. Potato Head began in 1952, believe it or not. It was the first toy to be ever advertised on television, And so throughout the decades, there have been different versions of it. But again, toy manufacturers figured out a long time ago that we like to create things in the images that we prefer, that we choose. Legos, we get to construct things that we like. Play-Doh, same kinds of things. Dolls, you could dress up like that. And one of my favorites when I was a little kid was Mr. Potato Head. I mean, you can change this guy up, right? Hair, no hair. Hat, no, no hat. Ears, that's okay. No eyes, that's okay too. Feet, you know. Okay, whatever you want. You get to create this thing in your image. They've come up with different versions of this throughout the years. I don't know if you knew this or not, but there was like a Looney Tunes version, Bugs Bunny. Uh, there was an Elvis version, an Elvis. Um, there was a, a version that came out with the band Kiss, the rock band Kiss, believe it or not. Batman, maybe some of you have seen the Star Wars-themed version, right? Darth Tater R2 potato is bad. (laughs) Really bad puns. But they sell like crazy. Again, we like to do that. We like to make things in the image that we choose. And here's what I want to say. We do that with God. We like to make God in our image. We, We like to kind of dress him up in the way that we feel good about, the way that we're comfortable. We like him to be like we like him. And what I want to say to you today is that that at some times does not always equal who he truly is. And this is what was going on in the first century. This passage that we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 21, turning your Bibles, is the famous account of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Here's where we are. 89 different sermons through the gospel of Matthew. And here we are, we're coming now to the end of Jesus' life. The triumphal entry, what has been called Palm Sunday, is recognized in this passage. And so Jesus is entering Jerusalem and he's going to go to the cross, ultimately what would lead to his resurrection. And so in order to understand the cross and the resurrection, we really need to understand this day, what Palm Sunday is all about, what the triumphal entry was. So let's look at the setting. Let's look at the context, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, when they, that's the disciples in Jesus, drew new to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, 
Now, Bethphage is a village just east of Jerusalem. We don't know the exact location of it uh, from the first century. It's near the town of Bethany. The Gospel of Mark tells us that also Bethany was concluded in this stop that Jesus had as he was nearing Jerusalem. It's about a mile away from Jerusalem, and it says to the Mount of Olives. When we went to Israel a few years ago, I got to go to the Mount of Olives. It was an amazing experience to see this place. This is where the triumphal entry of Jesus began. He marched from here all the way into Jerusalem as the king. So, What's going on here? To understand, again, this important event, you've got to note that this, again, is the last week of the life of Jesus. 33 years he had lived, 30 years in obscurity, three years now in public ministry. This is the last drama. This is the beginning of the end, and we need to respect it. We need to grasp what it really means in order to understand, again, what's going to come after it. So they came to this area. They're drawing near to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city where Jesus' life would end. This city was the end of his life, the end of his ministry. He never leaves the city of Jerusalem from this point on. He dies here. And so the whole purpose of the Lord's life and ministry is about to be reached. The Bible tells us that Jesus sends two disciples to go and to prepare for something that's very important, to prepare his entry into Jerusalem, the entry of a king. And it's a little odd that he would enter the city this way, but this was important, this was significant, and here's why. We're going to look at how God had in mind, how God's design for the king was markedly different than what other people had expected. A king was in the making, but what would that king look like? It should have been a king's in God's image. So verses 1 through 5, the end of verse 1, what was God's design for the king, for the Messiah? Here's what it says. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. All right. Two prophecies are being fulfilled here. Two Old Testament prophecies that are really important. One of those prophecies communicates the fact that there would be a king coming to the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, a king unlike any other. That prophecy is directly contained in this passage. It's from the book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. It prophesies that a great ruler would come to Jerusalem would come and he would deliver Israel. He would conquer the cities of Israel. And so verses 1 through 8 of Zechariah 9 prophesies and predicts that very thing. And that prophecy is concerning Alexander the Great. You know about this guy in history. He comes and he conquers the region of Israel and he conquers the cities of Israel and he does so just as described here in Zechariah chapter 9. But in verse 9 of chapter 9, a contrast begins. There's the beginning of a description of a different kind of king in Zechariah 9. After Alexander the Great, one greater than he would come. And here's what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. So there's coming a king. But who is he? What is he like? It goes on. Righteous and having salvation is he. Then there's this amazing description of this king. Matthew records it. It's found in Zechariah 9. He is humble 
mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, this was an odd way for a king to enter into a city. (laughs) It was an odd way. Here's the contrast. You have Alexander's strength, Alexander the Great's might, his power. He rides in after the conquest on a great white horse with his entourage in a parade, his crown glowing in the sun. The power and the splendor of that. But then there's a different king that's described. A king in God's image. He's not killing. He's saving. He's not rich. He's poor. He's not proud. He's humble. He's not riding on a great white steed. He's riding on a donkey's colt. What's the point? He's a king of a different kind. Therefore, he has a coronation of a different kind, a different kind of parade. It's an odd kind of parade by kingly standards, mind you, but he's declaring who he is by this coronation, by this parade. And this is communicating something very important about this king. But here's the second prophecy that's fulfilled in this passage and in this event. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel 9 talks about the anointed one, the anointed one who would come into Jerusalem. Now, now folks, this may be the most amazing Old Testament fulfillment of prophecy that there is. And there's a lot of amazing ones, hundreds of prophecies fulfilled. This one in particular is just amazing. And this event on this day signifies its fulfillment. In Daniel chapter 9, God describes to the prophet Daniel 70 weeks are going to occur. 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city is what it says. 70 weeks from the, uh, from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one. That's the time frame. So what we understand is that Daniel is talking about the decree of Artaxerxes, the Persian king, that from the building, rebuilding of Jerusalem, the coming of Messiah would be 70 weeks of years from that time. We learn from the book of Nehemiah that Artaxerxes allowed Nehemiah permission to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild that temple. So from that time, from that decree, from that announcement, from his permission to go all the way to the coming of the anointed one into Jerusalem, there are to be 70 times seven years. And the Jewish calendar was a 360-day year, which meant it would be 483 years. That's the time frame. 173,880 days. Listen to this. From the announcement of that king, Artaxerxes, to rebuild Jerusalem, to the coming of Jesus, the anointed one, into Jerusalem, a date ending exactly on the very day, the very day that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. A 483-year prophecy coming true. This was an amazing, significant event. But they missed it. They completely missed it, which really goes to the next thing. You see, there was a king in God's image, but they wanted a king in their image. Look in verses 6 through 11. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt 
and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This was a popular thing to do. They would lay their their cloaks on the road, palm branches on the road, so not even the hooves of the king's horses would get dirty. This was a sign of royalty. Other gospels tell us that they, they waved palm branches. That was a sign of joy. Verse 9, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now get this. This is Jesus on the colt of a donkey riding into Jerusalem. And there was a parade and they worshiped him. But I want to remind you, it was a king in their image. It was a ruler in their making. You say, they wanted a military king. They wanted a political leader. They wanted a king who would wield power and defeat the Romans and give them back their country. And so they waved those palm branches, cloaks on the road. They shouted, they sang, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save us now, save us now. It was the week of the Passover, a week that celebrated God's deliverance of the Jews from Egypt. So all the planets were lining up. They should have seen what was going on here, but they wanted a material kingdom. They wanted a physical kingdom. They wanted earthly deliverance. They wanted a king in their image. This has great relevance and application to us because just as they had wanted to make a king in their image, we want to make a king in our image. A king that we like. A king that we're comfortable with. There's some parallels to what they wanted, what they expected, and what we want and what we expect. What are those parallels? Here's one. And it has to do with that very thing, our expectations. Our expectations. You see, they wanted something from God that God would not provide. It was not in God's will. It was not what he wanted. And this, by default, set them up for great disappointment. You say, well, how? How could they have not seen this? Here's how. They refused to listen and to accept God's plan rather than their own. They refused to do that. We do that too. We make up our mind about what God should do, what he must do. We make him in our image in that sense. And the things that we're expecting are never in his attentions. They're never part of his will. And then when God doesn't do it, when he doesn't act as we think he should, we get disappointed. We get mad at him. And what I want to say to you is that that's not faith. That's a king. That's a God in our image. God may want to do something greater than our expectations, something that brings him greater glory, something that blesses others, something that fits into his overarching purpose for people, for mankind. See, when you make God in your image, you cannot see him for who he truly is. And I think the saddest part of this, the biggest tragedy is this, is that we miss seeing and experiencing the heart of God. For you and me. Because we're mad at him. 
And we're happy with God. We're content in faith, provided he does what we want him to do. And that's not faith. You see, Jesus, Jesus is okay with not meeting your expectations. He's okay with that. You know why? Because he wants to make your life into something beautiful, not comfortable. So, our expectations set us up for disappointment. We get mad, we get angry. Because God didn't do what we thought. And he's got something greater in mind. Here's the second thing that happened with them, it happens with us. Boy, you see this. Empty praise. Empty praise. Isn't this the great irony? Think about it. They worshiped, they praised, they bowed, but they did not know. They worshiped the Christ without knowing who he was. They worshiped the king without making him ruler of their hearts. It just illustrates the huge gap that can take place between our worship and our relationship with Christ. People look at the Jewish people and they say, well, they didn't understand who he was. Well, that's true in one sense, but they were convinced in another sense that he was the Messiah. They just didn't understand the nature of his Messiahship. They understood him as king. They didn't understand the nature of his kingdom. We do that. We do that. And it's expressed in worship that is empty. Our worship must come with the substance of the submission of our lives to Christ. You understand that worship is not faith. We come here, we sing, we feel good, we have a warm fuzzy, we leave, we think we've had faith. Worship is not faith. Worship reflects faith. And worship, when done correctly, can produce and induce faith. It can cause faith to happen, but worship in itself is not faith. So yes, you can worship Christ and not really know him. You can worship Christ and never truly submit yourself to his rulership of your life. Our worship is only as good as our love and submission to Christ. Otherwise, it's empty. It's a genuine love and submission for Christ. We have the right worship. But do we have the life that matches our worship? That's the idea. This is the great thing that was going on here. Worshiping and praising, but not understanding Jesus for who he was. And then here's the final thing. Conditional, conditional obedience. Conditional obedience. It's what they experienced. Here they are worshiping, praising. And four days later, those same people would turn on Jesus. The same people. Ones who praised would curse. So their devotion, their commitment lasted only as long as Jesus did what they wanted. Are you happy in Christ only when things are going as you think they should? Is that the kind of faith that you have? That you're so quick to turn on the Christ who died for you. To doubt his commitment to you, to doubt his love for you, to doubt the fact that he's in control, to turn on Jesus and to doubt this one who died and was resurrected for you. They did. 
Is our obedience conditional? So, making God meet our expectations, possessing praise that is empty and void of the substance of a committed life, and then conditional obedience. All these are not faith. They are God in our image. So, this is the first coronation of the king. It's a pretty shabby one, isn't it? This is the first coronation. It was shallow. It was empty. It was misguided. And yet he was the king of the universe. But I want to remind you that there's coming a day with another coronation. There's coming a day when the suffering servant will take his place on the throne as the sovereign king and he will reign forever and ever and ever. And every sorry, sad thing about this world, every upside down thing about this world, everything that we look at and see as evil, as we saw this morning with the bombings in churches in Egypt, these are our brothers and sisters in the family of Christ slaughtered. God's going to make all that right one day. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be justice. And every crooked thing will be made straight. There's coming a day when that king is going to reign and he's going to be coronated as sovereign king forever and ever and ever. And the Bible seeks to try to describe what that will look like in the book of Revelation. Words fall short. But let me read for you this picture of the coronation of the king from Revelation chapter 5. The apostle John has the vision, the revelation, and here's what he says. And I'm reading some verses that are not included here on the screen, but I'll get here eventually, okay? Then I looked, he said, then I looked. I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all the elders around the throne said, amen. May it be, may it be. That coronation, that kingdom is coming. And this week we look to it with such but we can't get there right now. We want, we want to jump to that, don't we? Don't we? You see, we need to see the suffering servant who offers salvation first, and we're going to look squarely at that this week. We must see that before we can see the sovereign king of glory. And we must be careful that as we look at Jesus this week, leading up to Easter Sunday, we must be so careful not to make him in our image. 
not to make him as we like him. You see, we have to take Jesus for who he is, not for what we want him to be. We seek to make God in our image. It is God who seeks to make us into his. Let's make sure and get that right. On that day in heaven, that day in heaven, when myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands will bow and worship. What a day that will be. And that began this day 2,000 years ago with his march into Jerusalem to ultimately die on a cruel cross and then to be raised in glory on the third day. And guess what? When we're there, and we're there for 10,000 years, and every song has been sung and every word has been used up, we will only then begin to sing about God's grace and God's glory. May that hope unite us this week. May that hope encourage us this week. May that hope give us the strength to set aside our expectations, to set aside our empty, voidless worship, and to not have obedience to Christ. That's conditional. But that's forever. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for um, this amazing day that took place with prophecies fulfilled. This coronation that should have taken place, Father. And yet the king was rejected. That king was crucified. But it was all in your plan. And so, Father, give us the strength also. Give us the ability not to make God in our image. Make the God that we're comfortable with. To see Jesus and accept him for who he truly is. That we could trust you despite our expectations and disappointments. That we could praise you with our whole hearts. We could remain faithful. That's what we pray for. Give us a glimpse of the cross this week that we might also see the power of the resurrection. Thank you for this special day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.